Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries Sermon of the Week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. So God gave me something though to share and it kind of started actually uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if any of you recall um, during worship, um, Mallory said that she was hearing, um, you know, like a march. You know, and uh, she said, we're, you know, we're, we're marching. Uh, and then Pastor Mark had uh, Derek, you know, start, uh, he said, you know, just beat away, plow, play as loud as you can. And then Derek started with, you know, your version of George of the Jungle, I believe. And, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, but as, as Mallory was talking, as Derek was playing, you know, I heard the Spirit of God say that this is a victory march. And so they're just the, what I was seeing, the, the vision that was coming to me is just the body of Christ, you know, us as the body of Christ, you know, you're charging up a hill, uh, you're excited, you really don't know exactly what's on the other side of the hill, what's going to be greeting you, but there's a battle cry, you know, that's going forward, and that's what we were doing, you know, a couple of weeks ago, is there's just this battle cry that's going, and you get to the top of the hill and you realize the enemy's been defeated. The enemy's... <laughs> The enemy has been put to flight, yes. right? Yes. And so what remained, you know, what, what I saw in this vision that remained was the captives were still there bound. And specifically how I saw them, they were sitting, sitting on the, on the ground with their hands still bound behind their back. And so it turned into a battle cry of victory because we realized that what our purpose was in this in this march, you know, in this, in what we were doing was to simply go forward and to set the captives free. And that's an exciting thing. If you show up for battle and realize the battle's been won and I get the honor and the privilege of setting people free, that would probably make you pretty excited. Uh, the unfortunate part is, is that people can be set free, but still live as captives. And, and so that's what I was saying is, is as you go and you start setting some of these people free, taking their binds off of them, so many people have been bound for so long or had such a stronghold on their lives that they don't know what it is to be free. And so they'll hold on, you know, to that same thing that was afflicting them. There's so many people that have been held by the enemy's grasp for so long. There's so many thoughts that have been planted in their minds, so many lies that they've been told, so many things that they've taken on, you know, as part of their identity, as part of themselves. And there's just no truth. There's no truth to it. And so what Scripture talks about is the truth will set people free. And so that's what we're called, you know, to do is to be carriers of His very kingdom presence, you know, to the captives, setting people free, sharing with them what their identity is, who they really are in Christ, the price that was paid for them. You know, so that's what we were, you know, just dwelling in this presence of God, just the sweet presence of God this morning. And one of the things that also came to mind is that we can't set captives free if we ourselves are held, still held bound. Oh, wow. And um, when I saw that, I don't know how many of you have ever seen the Indiana Jones movies, um, personal favorites of mine, but I love the one, the Holy Grail. In part of the movie, Indiana Jones and his father, they were captured, they're, ba they're sitting in chairs tied back to back, and there's a fire. And, you know, of course, you know, there's always a fire, and, you know, you, you, you know everybody knows what's going to happen, you know, but anyway, there's a fire, they're, you know, sitting, they're working together to un unbind each other. It would not have been as exciting, it would have been much uh, less uh, climactic, it would have been more anticlimactic if one of them would have already been free standing there with a knife and one of them would have been sitting there tied up in a chair. Simply would have walked over, cut them free, they would have ran out, not much of a memorable uh, scene. And, and so what I was seeing is, is we can be bound and the Holy Spirit can still use you know, use us, they, they were able to still free each other. And so we can still try, you know, to help people get set free and they may be able to be set free, but how, 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 do you, how can you not know that it's a heck of a lot easier to set somebody free when you yourself are not bound? And so that's what I wanted to talk about. You know, we saw um, a movie a couple of weeks ago as well that just kind of went along uh, with all this that really just made me feel like, okay, this is something that I needed to 
uh, talk about. And uh, we watched the movie. Um, I know the, the first movie is much more popular, the movie Unbroken. I don't know how many of you have seen that. Well, then there's a second movie that most nobody ever heard of uh, called Unbroken, The Path to Redemption. And it's the second part of that movie, which didn't gain the popularity because uh, in, the, in the world's eyes, I guess, in, you know, there was um, not as much excitement there because it's about his path to redemption. I read the book years ago, thought it was one of the most amazing books that I had ever read. And in the first movie, it's all about, um, you know, him being captured and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and that's where, that's where the first movie started and ended, talked all about his captivity and how he was set free and all this kind of stuff. But the second movie was about his path to redemption. How even though he was set free, he was still 100% bound and tormented you know, by everything he had gone through. He had gone through torture uh, while in this camp. And there's, if, if any of you are familiar with it, uh, there was this uh, Japanese uh, prison guard, you know, whatever, that was nicknamed the bird. And he made it his uh, life's mission to basically just make everybody as absolutely miserable uh, as they could. And the main character in the movie, and it's a true story, uh, Louis Zimperini, uh, he just tortured him, you know, constantly. Every day uh, for three years, just every day, just torture from sunup to sundown. And so even though Louis was set free, even though he's home, battles, the war's over, you know, he's back home, but he's still just tormented. He can't sleep. He can't think, he can't function. You know, he's lost all function to just, or lost all ability to just simply function, you know, and just be a normal person. You know, he just is completely tormented. And what's cool is he um, goes into a tent revival being uh, led by uh, Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham just starts, you know, speaking, wasn't saying anything extremely profound, but the, the anointing of God, you know, was causing him to become so uncomfortable he just could not stand to just sit there you know, in the presence of God. And so he runs you know, from the tent, and this happens multiple times. But he keeps going back, and he goes back, and uh, Billy Graham gives an altar call, and uh, Louis gets up, r- starts running out the building, and Billy Graham specifically singles him out and says, hey, you, you can leave during my message, but you absolutely will not leave while I'm giving an altar call. And just stopped him in his tracks. I mean, it was a pretty big tent, tent meeting. And I mean, he calls, calls this guy out, you know, specifically. And, you know, in the movie, how they portray it, and it's, it's true of in the book, you know, of how he gave the account, is something came over him finally when that happened to where he saw his tormentor that was standing before him saying, I'll never let you go. You're always going to be bound. You're not free. You know, I've got you. And that's what he kept saying is, I've got you. I've got you. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. And finally, something came over Louis to where he said, no. He spe- he, that's all he said was no. He had the, finally had the strength to say no, to be able to withstand it. And he turns around and walks up to the front and gives his life to God. And then went on to, you know, just amazing story, meeting most of his captors, telling them all how he forgives them, gives them all a Bible, you know, all this kind of stuff. And that's what he's talking about, the path to redemption. So it's just an amazing, uh, amazing story. And, and so that's what we're designed to represent Christ in this world, be an extension of his presence wherever we go. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We have been given everything that we need. You know, this is not things that we have to, you know, cultivate on our own. If I'm an ambassador uh, for the country of the United States, um, I'm not paying for things on my own. I'm not, you know, doing any of this stuff. I am using the resources of the kingdom, you know, for whatever it is that is my mission, you know, to go about. I have the authority to speak, you know, on behalf of, um, on behalf of the Father, and he's given us all full authority, you know, to wherever we step, we have full authority, you know, to take dominion over any of the areas that we're in, uh, both in the natural and, you know, in the spiritual. And it's time to start reclaiming that which has been stolen from so many people. Um, but Acts 10.38 specifically says what was, in this one verse, it, compl- it totally captures the whole purpose of the ministry of Jesus, or how God spent, Jesus spent his time here on earth. And it says, uh, again, Acts 10.38, it says, You know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So God did not just preach a message of salvation. You know, he came, you know, to deliver us, you know, to, you know, to pay the price, you know, for our sins. There's many, you know, different things that he did, but how he lived his life, you know, here when his ministry began, the three years of his ministry was all about doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil. And this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing as well. This is the same calling. This is the same you know, mandate that we have from heaven. Uh, Luke, Hebrews, 1 John, there's many other scripture verses that talk about how Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and to destroy the devil and his works. That was, the, that was, the, that was what Jesus came and did on this earth. And so the main scripture verse that's for what I want to talk about today is in Luke 4, 18 and 19. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And there's a lot, there's a lot to that verse and that's what I'm going to break down. That's what I've, you know, so I'm sorry if I'm going to be reading a little bit more than I would, you know, like. I don't like to just sit here and read, you know, but I've got just a few points here that I want to make uh, that basically just summarize what this scripture verse is talking about. And I think it's really uh, going to help because like I said, I don't think we realize how many people, people that are bound, people that are captive, are often thought of as people who are just lost, people who have never come to know uh, Jesus as their Savior, have never been baptized, and never been filled with the Spirit. But there are many, many people that have gone through those things that are still held captive. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. It's, it's astounding. And I think one of the, one of the, purpose of the purposes of the enemy, but yet something that's going to backfire on him or is backfiring on him, is in the last two years, we've had you know, this COVID thing come through, you know, isolating everybody and to where everybody who had any kind of deep-rooted thing that maybe they were able to mask you know, through just staying busy, you know, working, going about your regular everyday life, all this stuff is now starting to come to the surface um, to where there's no, there's no way that you can hide behind this. This thing has to be dealt with once and for all. There's some very, very deep-rooted things uh, in people, and they need to be set free. And so, again, the devil has brought all this to the surface, and we have seen people dealing with stress, anxiety, you know, suicide, all this kind of stuff. I mean, the numbers don't lie. The numbers are significantly higher you know, than they have been in history. But the way the tables are going to get turned on the enemy is that People are finally, once and for all, going to be set free from this thing um, because, when, again, like I said, when you can't hide behind it, it has to come to the surface and you, it has to be dealt with. And it can't be, and that, I think that's what the church is seeing and what a lot of people are seeing is that this can't be dealt with through intellect, through just simple or regular words of encouragement. Well, I'm praying for you, brother, uh, you know, and uh, praying for strength, you know, praying for peace, praying for wisdom. I mean, those are all fine and good, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, people need the Holy Spirit. They need the Holy Spirit's intervention. You know, it's, it, the Holy Spirit is the only one that knows what needs to happen, you know, in a moment. You know, there, there's truth and then there's timely truth. You know, I mean, I can talk to somebody about truth, somebody who may be going through some, something, and I can be telling them all about uh, the story of Genesis, you know, the story of, you know, the world, you know, how it was formed and how God spoke everything into creation, you know, and how he reached down and he formed, you know, out of everything else, he spoke everything into existence. But man, he reached down from the dirt and he actually formed it with his hand and breathed his very breath into man. You know, so we can say all those things, those are all truth. That's all great and fantastic but it may not be the truth that that person needs to hear right then and there. You know, and an example that I love to use, I've, I've, I've shared before, is one from Bill Johnson, you know, who said that, um, I don't remember how many year, years ago, but many years ago, they had some kind of a men's camp or men's retreat where people would go and just uh, all these men would come from all over and um, I guess they just deal with all kinds of things, you know, whatever it might be. 
but Bill Johnson was uh, sitting down at lunch with this one uh, person who came um, to be a part of the meeting, and he said this guy was just a super analytical you know, person. Uh, he said, really, he didn't even know if the guy even believed in God. Uh, didn't really know why he was even there. Uh, but this guy was just questioning, you know, just everything, just bringing up to Bill Johnson, you know, what about this first? What about this first? What about this? Why did it say this? You know, when it said this over here and just, you know, trying to just analyze and get an answer, you know, for everything. And how many of you know that, you know, our mind, our intellect cannot change somebody. As soon as we answer somebody's question, there's a hundred more to follow. You know, it is the Holy Spirit that can reach the heart of man and me through my own intellect. I can only argue with somebody in their mind, you know, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit knows exactly what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, how it needs to be said, and that can break down the walls that have been built around, you know, people. And so what happened in this particular situation is Bill Johnson just wasn't even responding to this guy at all. He's just sitting there, and the guy's just going a million miles an hour, you know, just rattling off all these different things, all these, you know, deep, profound uh, questions and all this kind of stuff. And Bill Johnson, I'm sure most of you in here know who he is, but, I mean, he's somebody who is full of wisdom, knows the Bible, frontwards, left, you know, I mean, everything. He probably very could have uh, easily answered all this guy's questions, but would it have made a difference? No, no, absolutely not. So Bill Johnson was just quiet. He's like, I'm just sitting there letting him uh, just go on and on and on. And finally, Bill Johnson just heard God tell him, tell him, I love you. And so Bill Johnson's like, well, that's how does that apply? You know, what, is, what does that mean? You know, I mean, he's asking all these questions. What is me saying this going to do? Um, but he finally just was obedient and just interrupted the guy right in the middle of his, you know, barrage of, you know, uh, all these questions that he was saying. And he immediately interrupted him and just said, I love you. Right after he spoke that, the guy broke. Just broke down in tears, crying, you know, just like total change. God, you know, God fell, the Holy Spirit was there, the presence of God was there, everything was beautiful through three, three simple words that honestly in any of our minds makes absolutely no sense. You know, what would that do? Those words in themselves do not have any power, you know, unless the Holy Spirit is the author of those words and telling you to say them. And so Bill Johnson, just being honest, you know, he said, it's just beautiful. The guy's just crying and just, you know, confessing and, you know, just all this kind of stuff. And uh, Bill Johnson said it was about a, a minute, a full minute went by. And he was like, well, that works so well. I guess I'll say it again. And so he does. And he said, he said, I love you a second time. And the guy just immediately clammed up and went right back to everything that he was saying before. You know, and so it's, like I said, it's, it's being in tune with the Spirit, knowing what the Spirit is saying, what the Spirit wants to say, um, because Jesus came and through his heart of compassion, he healed people. Jesus didn't come to prove his ministry. He didn't even come to prove that he was the Son of God. He very well could have. I mean, there were so many opportunities where people were looking for a sign, and if he would have simply demonstrated how powerful he was, you know, just a word could have just made all this kind of stuff happen, but he didn't because he chose us. He, he came to be a demonstration through compassion to show that being led by the Holy Spirit, we too can function and operate just as he did. We were created to do the work. I mean, you know, God with one simple word could destroy the devil and his works. Flick of his finger, devil as we know it could absolutely be gone. But God gave that to us. He said, you know what? I am going to, because we, we are lesser than the angels. Us as natural humans, we're lesser than the angels. But with his spirit, we rise above. He, God is far greater in us than what, than what the enemy is. And so God said, how awesome is it that the human that I created, man that I've created, if they will but yield to me and allow my spirit to dwell in them, they can put the enemy you know, to flight. And so that's, again, what he's called us to. So anyway, going back to this verse, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to break it down a little bit. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So that first, that first spot right there. Preach the gospel to the poor. 
Um, so the first thing that came to me was just the poor in spirit. You know, who are the poor? You know, and, uh, and that's, you know, kind of similar, you know, to what, uh, you know, what they were asking Jesus, you know, when he said, love your neighbor. And I'm like, well, you know, who, who's your neighbor? You know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, so people can say, well, I don't know who the Spirit is drawing, you know, so I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be reaching out to. Um, so how do I know who I'm supposed to be trying to you know, influence? Um, and the answer is yes. People are in our lives for a reason. We are carriers of the presence of God. We are carriers of His anointing. We are carriers of His peace. Wherever we go, people are put in our path for a reason. So Him drawing people, guess what? He's oftentimes drawing them through you. You know, God's working on the hearts of people, but when they see someone functioning and operating out of the peace, out of the wisdom, out of the anointing, out of the love of the Spirit that dwells in them, that begins to make people start to stop, think, and ask questions of, hey, maybe there is something a little bit different, you know, here. There's freedom here that I want, freedom that this person has. What is it? You know, I must, I must have this. So anyway, preaching the gospel to the poor is essentially to proclaim the good news especially to those who recognize their need for a Savior, those who have tried everything without success, those who are ready to give up, those who feel they have no reason for life, basically the poor in spirit. And we are to give hope to the hopeless, to let them know there is a relationship that brings total and complete restoration if they will but surrender. You know, so how much more encouraging of a word can you give to somebody who's just at the end of their rope feels like they've done nothing to deserve anything. They've tried. Uh, they've done everything that they can, um, but they're, they're, they're finished. They're done. They can't do anything more. And when you can come to a person and say, you know what? There is a relationship that you can have, a presence. You know, just like we were experiencing this morning, there is a presence. We don't come out of this presence. This presence is within us at all times. This is a presence that we carry everywhere we go, that we distribute everywhere that we go. And I mean, I don't know if you ever realize, but when you're in the presence of God, isn't it awesome how a lot, just about anything else from the outside always fades away? You know, when it, what's, the, what's the song? You know, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth grow strangely dim. You know, I mean, that's, that's very true, you know, of what happens when we turn our eyes on Him, when we keep our eyes on Him, when we cherish and, je- like I was saying earlier, the jealously guard that presence that's in us, I'm sorry, but other things just cannot take the place of the presence of God. We have to learn to jealously guard that presence, you know, that's, that's in us. You know, it's, the enemy is always trying to tackle what we believe. He's trying to throw things in our, in our path to keep us out of that presence of God because he knows that in that presence, you know, freedom is found. Um, so the next part of that scripture verse says, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Uh, so again, just kind of, I mentioned Bill Johnson a little earlier. Uh, a lot of you may know, you know, his wife passed uh, last weekend after battling, I think, six months or so, you know, with cancer. And, um, and I don't know how many of you listened to his uh, message. I think it was called uh, Breaking the Bread of My Soul. I, by far the best message I've ever heard. If, if you haven't listened to it yet, I mean, he gave this message, I think, three days after his wife uh, passed. And I mean, just the place that he's coming out of, just, you know, 100% in the presence of God, because, I mean, for him to be able to demonstrate, you know, the presence of God like that, the love of God and the way that he did to carry the anointing of God the way that he did in the midst of so much personal loss, I mean, just, I, I listened to it three or four times. I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. I highly recommend it to anybody, you know, to listen to it, 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 if it doesn't touch you, uh, you've got issues. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But one of the things that he said that I thought was really good um, was that he said, mourning, talking about you know, the mourning over uh, someone who, who we've lost or whatever it might be, mourning can either bring us closer to God or closer to unbelief. What makes the difference is hope. You know, and you can apply that to not just mourning. You can apply that to uh, even just the simple reading of the Scriptures. You know, if you're reading the Scriptures, um, you can again take two different approaches. 
you know, to reading them. You can be reading them to draw you closer to the Father, to know more about who He is and who we are in Him. Or you can be reading those scriptures to simply ask questions, to analyze things. And, and honestly, what it does is, one, it wears you out, and it brings you to a place of unbelief. The more you question, you know, and like uh, so many people were talking about this morning, childlike faith, you know, a child just believes. My children believe what I say. That's why I have to be careful what I say because my children absolutely believe me. I've not given them any reason to, th- to think that I would lie to them or that I would put them on or I would just be you know, selling them a lie all of their lives. I tell them the truth. And so because of that, they believe everything I say. They trust me. And so we have to be at the same place in our relationship with God to where it's okay to have questions, but allow those questions to draw you nearer and nearer to the Father to really learn His heart and to understand more about Him. You know, and if I can use this example, you know, Amy and I, we've been married for next month, will be 19 years. Yeah. And, um, and when we met, I was six, 15. I was 15 when we met. Uh, she was 16. And... Huh? Yes. Yes. And she pursued me. No. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, I 100% thought she was out of my league. Uh, but hey, I told her the other day, I said, do you realize? Total side note. But I, you know, I, I probably went to school, church with, mm, I don't know, 20, 20 or so guys that I was you know, pretty close to growing up you know, as a teenager. Um, and I was the dork. Of, of, of the group. I was the one that was uh, wearing the pleated pants, uh, the tucked in dress shirt, short sleeve. Um, you know, I was not, um, there was nothing fantastic going on. And, uh, but yet I can honestly say I by far ended up with the prettiest wife out of everyone. You know, she, she knocks everybody way back. It's true. What was I saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so we've been married, thank you. So we've been married for a while. We've known each other for, you know, 20 something, uh, you know, a little over 20 years. And so, um, you know, back then there was not, uh, we didn't have texting. You know, this is before, you know, electricity. No, um, you know, there, there was really no, you know, our conversations, you know, we had to talk. She's in Mandeville, uh, so that was considered long distance for me. Um, so our first month of uh, dating, uh, my parents just about killed me because our phone bill was $650. Oh, um, so we rigged a system to where I would call Amy and she'd call me right back uh, because she had circle dialing or whatever, so she could call me and it wasn't long distance. So my dad instead was getting a phone bill of a few hundred one-minute phone calls. And he's, what, you know, what is this? Um, but anyway, so we, you know, we, had to, we had to spend time with each other to get to know each other. If there would have been a book that existed that was titled All About Amy, I would have bought that book and I would have been absorbing it you know, to just know everything about her, uh, what are the things that she likes, you know, all this kind of stuff, because you know, I just want to get to know her you know, as much as I can. I would not have been reading that book trying to point out all the flaws, you know, all the different things, and just trying to find ways to make myself not want to be with Amy. You know, and that's what a lot of people end up doing when they're reading the scriptures, is they're, again, turning to their analytical mind, saying, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? You read the scriptures, you read the word to know the Father. You know, and, and when you read out of that, to, to know the Father and who He is and who we are in Him, the scriptures come alive. You know, I don't know... I, I mean, I, I know I could say this for myself, but the scriptures are amazing. The things that jump out at you as you read the scriptures, I know I was talking to Derek about this a few days ago. I mean, just the things that start to come alive, you know, just reading different passages of scripture, things that you've read your whole life, but you just read it over and over again and just more and more and more. There's just more and more things that just jump out. And it just, it all is under... Um, for the purpose of just drawing you closer and closer to knowing how big the Father is, how good the Father is. You know, none of this, you know, if you're reading this with the right intent, you're not going to walk away from any of this saying, well, 
I thought I wanted to know him, but I guess I really don't. You know, when you read this, you know, in the presence of God, wanting to know the heart of the Father, he makes himself real, you know, and it's really, it's really amazing. But anyway, uh, so yeah, mourning can bring us, either bring us closer to God or closer to unbelief, and what makes the difference is hope. And there's a scripture verse in uh, Romans 15, 13. I'm going to read it from the Passion. It says, Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in Him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with His superabundance until you radiate with hope. So it's oftentimes that a broken heart can lead to resentment, bitterness, lasting pain. You know, if you sit there and dwell on this, that's what happens to a lot of people uh, is these things just begin to build up in you. But what he did by healing the brokenhearted is he showed us the need to forgive not just each other but ourselves uh, through the demonstration of how he forgave us. You know, so if we can come to terms with the fact that he forgave us even while we were yet sinners, you know, even before we were even formed, even before all the foundations of everything even beginning, he forgave us. And if we can take that and truly understand that in our heart and just in our minds, not something great to just say, you know, and try to repeat and just try to drill, drill, drill. It's something that if we can really take hold of it in our hearts, then just as he forgave us, so we can forgive others. We can forgive ourselves and in demonstration teach people that forgiveness is oftentimes what is needed for healing to begin taking place. Oftentimes it's true when you see deliverance, when you see different things, so many times of when healing gets released for whatever somebody's needing that oftentimes comes through forgiveness. You know, that needs to happen in a person's life. So next is to proclaim the liberty, proclaim liberty to the captives. You know, or to, to minister deliverance from the hold of affliction, both spiritual and natural, you know, because we can be afflicted in our bodies, you know, and in the spirit, uh, as the hold or the grip on their lives can be so strong, it leaves them without the will to fight or to even function. You know, and I, I find so much in talking to people um, that are just so um, just consumed, you know, with, with what's going on, they can't see, you know, what's going on. And uh, there's another song um, that Amy played for me on the way uh, here this morning uh, called Running in Circles by United Pursuit. And uh, I had never heard the song before, and it was uh, just amazing. So I'm just going to read a quick little part of it. So I come, Lord, I come to tell you I love you, to tell you I need you, to tell you there's no better place for me than in your arms, to tell you I'm sorry for running in circles, for placing my focus on the waves, not on your face. You are the only one who brings me peace. And, and that's what the enemy does, is he makes these waves, you know, what's the little thing that we see in our side mirrors, objects in mirror may appear closer than they, or may be closer than they appear, you know, whatever it might be. Well, that's what the enemy does is he magnifies, you know, the situation. He makes the waves just appear so large that we can't see Jesus on the other side with his hand outstretched, you know, saying, I've got you. I mean, look at Peter. I mean, he's walking on water. Jesus is walking on water out to him. He calls him out of the boat, you know, and Peter then gets his eyes on the waves and begins to sink. And that's exactly what the enemy does is he keeps he keeps what's surrounding you. He keeps the circumstance. He keeps the situation so magnified in your life that you just cannot see, you know, through it all to see that, to even be able to allow the grace of God to work because the grace of God gives us this strength, gives us the ability to choose what we're going to follow. Are we going to continue to follow after what's been holding us hostage for so long or are we going to choose to walk in the freedom that he paid the price for? And so what the enemy does is he just keeps your eyes on the circumstance on the, on the situation to where you believe grace in of itself, it can't even do the work. You know, grace is not strong enough, you know, to give me the ability, you know, to choose. Uh, to restore sight to the blind. This can, you know, mean physical blindness, certainly. You know, I mean, obviously Jesus came and ministered in healing, you know, for a lot of people. Um, but I believe this had a deeper meaning uh, because God desires wholeness, spirit, soul, and body. And he wants to restore our sight by giving us eyes to see ourselves for who we are in him and to also see others, not for how they appear, but for how they were created. And, you know, I've shared this with a few people. You know, my perspective on things has changed so much in the last couple of years 
to where I started praying earnestly to God and asking Him to help me see people the way that He sees them. And all of a sudden, you know, it goes from, you know, pointing out all the flaws, thinking you have a spirit of, uh, or a gift of uh, finding everybody's problem. You know, I'm very gifted. Uh, it's a major talent that I possess and just looking at people and saying, well, you've got this issue, you've got this issue, you know, that got issue, you know, I don't know about anybody in here, but I've got a very good talent, you know, for that. Uh, but that is not, that is not a skill, that is not a talent, that is not something that God wants to use and in fact, it's something that we have, to, we have to bury, we have to put to death because God sees people for the way that he created them to be. And so when you can start to see people the way that he sees them, when you can begin to see people for the purpose in their life, for the love that the Father has towards them, then your perspective just immediately begins to change. You know, the, your mindset begins to shift. And it's at that point to where you can start to pray for that person, you know, and begin to minister to that person and allow the Holy Spirit to then just come on the scene and just minister. So rather than just sitting there, again, just saying, well, this, 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 that never got anybody anywhere. You know, I mean, I know prior to two years ago, you know, I was a Bible bashing kind of person. And if you, if I saw anybody doing something wrong, I immediately just turned to, you know, 10 scripture verses, you know, that talk about that and just beat you over the head with the Bible you know, and say, you don't you realize, you know, you're going to hell, you know, and I mean, no one ever got free from that. I, I don't, you know, I did that for a long time. I'm 37. You know, I did that for 35 years, including when I was really, really little. You know, but I did it for a long time. Just always, I knew, I know my Bible. I knew my Bible, and I would just say, you know, because of people like you, um, you know, the world is, you know, going to hell in a handbasket. You know, I mean, this is. Uh, you're bringing on condemnation, you know, to the world, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and never realizing the full potential and purpose that was in people. Um, and so to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And oppression, you know, I just did a quick search. Oppression can be defined as subject to harsh and authoritarian, authoritarian treatment. So my, the first thing that comes to me is religion. You know, so he sets at liberty those who are oppressed. So religion is one of the biggest oppressors uh, of them all. Um, and 2 Corinthians 3.6 says, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And so those who are bound by religion, you know, can be bound to, you know, even the letter. You know, people can be bound to religion, but yet still know their Bible frontwards and backwards and have absolutely zero freedom, you know, in their life. Um, improper application of Scripture can bring death and bondage rather than life and freedom. Our lives can become crippled if we have an unclear understanding of what Jesus came to accomplish and fulfill. And if that's unclear, if I don't have an understanding of the purpose that Jesus came for, I will never understand my purpose and calling because my purpose and calling is to reflect that which He came to do. If you live entirely by principles only, you will make assumptions in certain situations that are entirely based on Scripture, but they will be in conflict with the Spirit. And you might say, well, how on earth can that be? I mean, how, how many of us can look at a Scripture verse? You know, uh, I know Pastor Mark said it a million times, you know, and we all know it. We can take a Scripture verse and make it mean 10 different things. And some of those things are maybe multiple uh, things that it's applying to that maybe all be correct. They will never conflict with each other, but they may be correct for different varying circumstances or situations, you know, whatever it might be. So when we just take the letter, you know, of the Scripture and just apply in our natural mind what we think it to mean, oftentimes we throw ourselves into more bondage, you know, than, you know, than anything. You know, life ministers freedom. Uh, we must learn to depend on the Holy Spirit as discernment is needed to know how freedom and trust are to be demonstrated, I'm sorry, freedom and truth are to be demonstrated in someone's life. Uh, and so last was uh, proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord. And so the acceptable year of the Lord right there is referring to the year of Jubilee. Um, so, you know, a lot of y'all may understand, you know, what the meaning of, of, of Jubilee was or what basically happened in that year of Jubilee. But just to, you know, remind everyone, it's re um, the year of Jubilee would occur every 50 years. Uh, and at this time, all debts would be forgiven, all slaves would be set free, and all property would be returned to the rightful owners. The year of Jubilee was also defined as a year of rest, 
and also taking the slate and wiping it clean. All debts, all sins are past. It's all forgiven and forgotten. We are no longer slaves to sin, slaves to our flesh nature, slaves to man's opinions. Everything that we have, everything that we are has been turned over to him and we are entered into his rest and it's time that this good news be proclaimed for all to see. You know, so we are in the year of Jubilee. You know, that is what Jesus came to proclaim and that's what he's given us to proclaim, you know, over everyone else is this is the year, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the year of Jubilee. This is the time when you are no longer a slave. You no longer have any debt. There's nothing that you owe to anyone. There's nothing that you owe to anything. You know, and everything that you have is turned over to God. This is a, this is a total wipings, wiping clean, you know, of the slate. This is a start over. All of your past does not need to come into, you know, the new. You're a new creation. All things are old. All things are new. All things are, are anything else is in the past. It's hidden. It's history. You know, it does not, like Noel was, you know, talking about, you know, some of us, you know, our past, our history may be part of our testimony, you know, but she was like, but she was saying, there's nothing saying that we have to remember or always bring up, you know, things that are, that are in our past. You know, we are a new creation. You know, this is new. Let's pursue, you know, what the, what the Father has. You know, there's so many things that we can turn our attention to, so many things that we can pursue, and it just gets our eyes off of what the Spirit wants to show us. And so we, we need to see that, um, you know, I thought this was interesting. Uh, in, in the book of John, so when, when Jesus goes and gets baptized by John the Baptist. Um, you know, John the Baptist baptizes him, so Jesus is baptized in water. Then the Holy Spirit descends uh, like a dove. And in the book of John, uh, unlike the other uh, three Gospels, the book of John says uh, the dove descended and the dove remained. Uh, so the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus. And then the Father spoke and he said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. But how many of you know Jesus hadn't done anything yet? up until that point. Jesus' ministry had not started. Jesus hadn't cast out any demons. He hadn't healed any sick. Uh, he hadn't preached, you know, the good news to anybody. He hadn't done anything. The one thing that we do know that Jesus did prior to this was the account of him being 12 years old, saying that, don't you know that I must be in, depending on the translation that you read, some will say, don't you know that I must be about my father's business or that I'm in my father's house? So he knew him at 12 years old. He knew him as his father. And, in, and it is that, it is the one thing that we know about Jesus, that he knew who his father was, and he knew who he was in his father, and that is what pleased God, to say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so if we can pursue that, if we can pursue the knowing of him, that is what pleases him. All the, all the works, all these other things, that's all going to come, you know, as a result of that relationship that we have in him. You know, but everything must first come, you know, out of who we are in Him, out of that realization of who we are in Him, then things begin to manifest. We cannot, we cannot earn God's praise based on the things that we do, the things that we say, the acts that we perform. We see that in Mark when the people are standing before Him saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these things. We healed the sick. We, we raised the dead. We cast the devils out. You know, all these things we did in Your name. And He said, depart from me. I never knew you. And not knowing, and God not knowing us doesn't prevent us from doing these things because they did them. You know, that's what always amazed me in, in that scripture verse was they healed the sick. They cast out devils. You know, they, they raised the dead. They, they spoke in tongues. They did all these things, but yet God didn't know them. You know, and, and so it's not, God, you can't judge where you're at, you know, with God, you know, or anything like based on what you're doing. It comes from a, a, a realization of a, the relationship that you have. It's based on you knowing the Father and Him knowing you. That is paramount. There is nothing, everything else takes a back seat to that. This must be the first thing that's first and foremost in our, um, in our, in our eyes. And so uh, something that I heard um, you know, God say too is the enemy is always trying to distort what we believe. And so I heard God say uh, a few days ago, I was just asking him for, you know, just a word, you know, of something that I could share and, uh, for today. And I, he I heard this. It said, what we know must come from who we know. Amen. You know, and I heard him say, what do you know? And if you were to take, stop and take stock of what you know, and I'm not talking about uh, our knowing of, you know, um, 
you know, foundational types of things or, you know, what we know in the scriptures, but what has God revealed to your heart? You know, again, it's not, it's, it's not what's come in through your mind, you know, and made itself deposit into your heart. It's what's come into your heart. What has come into your heart? What is it that God has made real and alive to you? And you can only know those things and stand on those things when you know, uh, when you know the Father. And so we need to know that we have authority, you know, and, and like I said earlier, you know, Adam turned that over. Uh, authority was given over to the enemy when Adam strayed, you know, but through the work of the cross, Jesus took all authority from Satan and has given it to us. And we also need to demonstrate love. 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love drives out fear or casts out fear. And I firmly believe, I woke up at that scripture verse last week, I firmly believe that at the root of so many of these issues that people experience, fear lies at the root of so much of that. If you were to, if you were to analyze it for a second, you know, and just see, you will be able to look and see fear is usually the root cause of pretty much everything that comes against you in your life. And so perfect love casts out fear. In our natural ability, we cannot, we don't have perfect love, you know, in the natural. We typically can only love as much as someone else loves us. Our love is not unconditional. You know, as soon as if I'm loving somebody and their love isn't being returned, or if somebody's coming against me and slandering me, persecuting me, putting me down, it's pretty typical for our love to, to run out. You know, so our love is not a perfect love. So what is it talking about perfect love? Perfect love is what Jesus demonstrates to us and that he loves us unconditionally. And like I said right when I first started, God is in love with you. The Father is in love with you, not because of what you've done, not because of anything like that. He's in love with you. He made you. He breathed his very breath into you. You are alive in him and he loves you. He loves each and every one of us. And one of the reasons why he loves, or one of the things that we do with that love towards us is we in turn can demonstrate that perfect love towards others. And perfect love usually is accompanied by truth. You know, and so sometimes, you know, I've said this before, you know, so many people going through things don't need a support group. You know, there's, there's lots of things where we want to just encourage and say our little religious uh, words of, you know, little trinkets that we know, little things that we've memorized, you know, over the years to try to help and encourage somebody. But it's, it's truth. Again, like I was saying earlier, it's the timely truth that we can only get from the Holy Spirit, you know, saying and speaking into a situation. And that truth is what sets people free. Love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. And if that root is dealt with, if that root is cast out, then whatever is growing from that root is going to wither. It's going to die. It has to be, it has to, be, it has to go. And so we have to understand perfect love. We have to understand the Father's love towards us if we're to ever demonstrate this love towards others. We need a renewed mind. The renewed mind is more than having the ability to give a biblical answer to a problem. You know, and, and you know, so many people, I, I did this for so long, I would read the Bible because I wanted to be able to debate people. You know, so whenever they would have a question, I wanted to sound smart. You know, so I could answer, you know, what their question might be, and they might look up to me and say, oh, you know, Gabe, he's smart. He knows his Bible. Um, and understanding the Scripture is nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, hide the, hide the Word in your heart. I mean, under, you know, read the Scriptures, memorize the Scriptures. That's all fine, but that's just a very, very small part of the renewed mind. The renewed mind is about seeing things from God's perspective. Yes, it's our perception. You know, when, when we begin to renew our mind, and this is, a, um, this is a phrase, when the impossible begins to appear logical, we will know that the transformation is taking place. You know, the renewed mind. You know, again, kind of like that childhood faith. You know, we, we, we try to, again, we try to analyze everything. We try to understand everything. You know, but that childlike faith begins to look at the impossible and begin to think that, you know what, this actually makes sense. You know, I can trust in this. Uh, revelation is seldom given to those who are curious. You'll never see him reveal truth just to make us smarter or more capable of debating with those who see dif differently. Truth is the literal transforming power of God to instill freedom in the life of those who embrace it. And I'm going to say again, truth is the literal transforming power of God to instill freedom in the life of those who embrace it. 
You know, again, uh, Scripture talks about you'll know the truth, the truth will, will make you free. But to put it literally, freedom in your life exists to the degree that you embrace truth. Not from your head, but from with your heart. If I believe a lie, I empower the liar. You know, it's a, I'm stealing a phrase there from Bill Johnson there again. You know, but again, freedom in your life exists to the degree you embrace truth, not from your head, but from the heart. And our inability often takes on a greater focus than does his ability. And so um, a couple of things that stood out from the uh, message that um, I was saying that uh, Bill Johnson had talked about about a week ago um, was that most of the time it's not an answer, you know, that we need. You know, we're always asking for an answer when we're going through a situation or we don't understand, you know, what happened. You know, we experience loss or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but it's not an answer that we need. It's the presence, you know, that we need. Uh, and just something that stood out to me, I was reading last week, uh, you know, the story of Job or the week before, you know, the story of Job. It's amazing how Job stands strong, you know, for such a long time uh, and he starts defending himself, um, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm good. You know, there's nothing in me because his friends are saying, hey, surely you, surely you sinned. There's something you did to bring this on yourself. And he starts, you know, self-justifying himself. Uh, saying, no, I'm a good person. I haven't done anything. Um, but then finally, Job starts to get to the end you know, of himself and just excuse me, begins to demand of God saying, okay, why is this happening? You know, what's going on here? I've done everything right. There's nothing I've done wrong. You know, and literally puts a demand you know, on God to explain you know, what's going on here. And so God, God shows up. But he, what's amazing is he does not give him an answer why. Instead, he spends, you know, three, four chapters, whatever it is, saying, where were you? You know, when I did, when, 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 I, when I spoke, you know, everything to an existence, where were you when I taught the line to war? Where were you? You know, and he just goes on and on and on and on, you know, to where Job, and he gives a couple pauses. It's pretty funny when you go into Job, you know, beginning of Job chapter 40, and then again, beginning of Job chapter 42, you know, it's like God pauses, and Job's like, I got nothing to say. I can't. There is, there is, you got me. You know, I, I cannot, I cannot come back from that. You know, and so God didn't give him an answer, but he showed him just how big he is. And I think that sometimes something that we lose sight of is just how big God is, how good he is. We see our circumstance, we see our situation, we see the wave, you know, crashing down on us. You know, but when we, can, when we can step back and truly see just how big and how good God really is and realize, hey, everything's not just about, you know, the circumstance or the situation that I'm going through. God has a plan, you know, in place, and I'm a part, you know, of this plan. So again, childlike faith to just trust that God is at work on your behalf. He's working things out for the good of those who love Him. Um, you know, and something else he said was uh, the backslider in heart will always judge God by what he didn't do, but those who run with tenderness for who he is will always divine him, define him by what he has said, what he has promised, and what he has done. You know, so again, a renewed mind is about getting a perspective of really who, who God is, you know, and getting out of our mind and getting out of, you know, the questioning of God, uh, why didn't this happen? You know, why didn't you do this? You know, and instead, you know, when, when us with a renewed mind, you know, can look at this and just see, we can remember. And I think that's always something to, uh, to think about is you can, you can look at the situation and see what you're going through, but you don't have to try too hard to go back and see all the things that he's brought you through. How many times that he's demonstrated his love for you. How many times he has um, just showed up on the scene, not through your self-righteousness or because of anything great that you did, but oftentimes in spite of you, you know, he showed up on the scene and made himself real. And so that's something that we need to remind ourselves of from time to time. So I'm saying all this to say that you know, the captives need to be set free. But we ourselves have to live in freedom in order to minister the setting free to others. You know, we need to be able to understand the authority that we have in Him. We need to have a renewed, we need to have a renewed mind, a renewed perspective. We need to see things the way that God sees them. 
you know, and, and this is the only way that things can change. Trying to, trying to continue to heap wisdom to yourselves, you know, and, and last example, and, and we'll stop. I don't even know if I should go here, but I am. Uh, I was scrolling through uh, YouTube yesterday on my phone, and, uh, you know, all I usually have in there is just, uh, you know, various things I follow, you know, three different uh, pastors, some woodworkers, and a couple of guys that do farm, farm stuff with tractors and things like that. So that's, you know, uh, hey, that's, that's, that's what I got. And uh, so, I, you know, if you're scrolling through YouTube and, and, and you get these recommendations based on other things that you've, you know, seen, whatever. Well, this one popped up, and man, it made me so angry. I, I, I haven't felt angry like that in a while. But what it was was a picture of a seductive woman, you know, right there. And what it was titled was, What You Need to Know About the Demon of Lust. And I, out loud, I don't remember where I was. I was somewhere in the house. Out loud, I said, why do I need to know about, why do I need to know anything about the demon of lust? This is not something, this is, this is something that has affected so many people, you know, for such a long time. Why do I need to spend an ounce of effort getting to know something that's already at work, you know, in the world, in the natural? Why do I need to, I don't, I don't want to know anything about it. I want to know about Him. I want to know about the Father. I want to know who I am in Him. I want to know that I am free, you know, in Him. I want to know that I've got a renewed mind. I want to know that He forgave me, that He cleansed me, that I don't need to fall prey, you know, to these kind of things. Why do I need to spend any time, you know, on this? But that's just a trap, you know, the enemy so many times to get us going after this, after that, after that, heaping to yourselves wisdom, you know, about this thing, about this thing, you know, when all it is is just a distraction of who He is, that's what God said. He was, he was in love with his son because his son knew him. And so that's all I can say is I just want to encourage everybody to know the Father. The more you know him, the more his life is going to emanate out of your life because there are a lot of people that need to be set free. The enemy is defeated. The enemy is gone. The, ch the chains have been released but there are still people who don't understand how they can walk in the freedom that they've been given. They've been bound for so long, they don't know how to function. You know, I mean, you know, I remember one time when I broke my ankle, I was in a cast. You know, it took a while to remember how to walk again, how to run again. You know, I had one leg that was about this big and another one that was this big. You know, it, it took a while to figure out how to, you know, how to just function, you know, again. And that's what, that's what people need. And we cannot do this through the regurgitation of everything that we've heaped into our intellect. You know, all the, the latest philosophy, the latest, latest revelations you know, of all this kind of stuff. It's all great. It's great to desire the deep things of God. That's fine. But it must be for the purpose of setting the captives free because that's what he came to do, to heal those who were oppressed. And he did this through compassion you know, on people. Jesus had full ability to demonstrate anything that he wanted, you know, to anybody. He, he could have absolutely just made everything change, everything disappear. The whole world could have been turned upside down, but he instead chose us to do this. And we have to surrender. We have to surrender to him, getting to know the Father, knowing the Father more and more intimately, and letting him make himself known in us is what it has to be all about. Because again, Time is precious. There are so many people. I know, I know there's many of y'all in here that know of people that have either gone through something or are going through something where they just cannot get free. They're held, they're just, they feel like they're still just bound and no matter what they try, no matter what they do, they cannot come out of it. You know, because we try so much out of our own strength, out of our own effort, you know, to try to do these things or to try to minister to people. You know, but I'm, I'm telling you just because I see it and I've, God has been allowing me to flow in this is that it's something that's so much on my heart is just setting people free. That is the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is for people to know who they are in Him, to stop listening to the lies that have been ingrained in them for so long and to start to believe the truth. And the only way they can believe the truth is they have to hear that truth coming from us. And so that's pretty much um, all I wanted to say, you know, about that. So before I close, does anybody have anything that they want to share or add to it? Yes? No?
awesome. All right, let's go ahead and stand. So once again, Father, we love you. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your vision. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for who we are in you. And we thank you for the opportunities that you place in our lives to, to be lights to people that we're around to be carriers of your presence and of your kingdom everywhere that we go. And Father, I just ask that as we leave this place, as we go through uh, about, as we go about our week, as we go through um, our, our regular routines, that we always remain aware of you and never lose sight of your presence and of your purpose. Keep at the forefront of our minds the purpose that you came to demonstrate and in the way that you carried it out, give us the strength, Lord God to walk as you walked, to talk as you talked, and let it all come out of a relationship with you, Lord God. Draw us closer. Draw us closer and closer as we draw closer to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.